pretend like you can, right? Um, Genesis, the last, let's see, starting with uh, Hosea, the minor prophets are those last books of the Old Testament. Now, the way that the Bible is organized, in case you're wondering, it's not organized chronologically. It's not organized like if you start at the beginning and you read to the end of the Old Testament that you're going to be reading it chronologically the way that we would normally think about it. It's because the Bible is not a history book. The Bible has history books in it. But the Bible, the Bible is, a, is a spiritual book. It's God's Word to us. So the way that our Bibles are organized are a lot like a, a library is organized. How many of you have heard of a library before? Raise your hand if you... Okay, good. How many of you have ever been to a library? Okay, a library is what we used to have when we didn't have Kindles and podcasts and books on our phones. So you'd go to a library and you'd go to the, you'd go to like the, the fiction section or the nonfiction section or you'd go see some history books. Or, and so that's how the Bible's organized. The Bible is organized kind of like a, like a library. It's organized according to genre. Okay, so the first, few, the first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch. Those are the books of Moses. And then the next ones um, are, are history books in the Old Testament. So you'll read about the history of uh, the Jewish people, the Hebrews. Now, the history books are pretty much in order. But then the next section of books, starting with Job, are what we call the poetry books. So Job and Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs, those are all poetry, books of poetry. Again, it's not necessarily like they all, like roses are red, violets. It's like real poetry, right? So that's, that's the next section. And then the last section in the Old Testament are called the prophetic books, the prophets. And the first few prophets are called the major prophets, Isaiah Jeremiah, Lamentations was the second book written by Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Daniel. Those are the major prophets, and that doesn't mean that they were a bigger deal. I just want to make sure you know that major prophets just means that their books are bigger. So major prophets, if you look at Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, those are bigger books. And the minor prophets, starting with Hosea, all the way down through, those are the minor prophets simply because their books are smaller. So just because their books are smaller, like today we're starting on Hosea, or sorry, on, I should probably know this, oh, Haggai. We're starting on Haggai today, and so Haggai is only two chapters, and so he's a minor prophet, but he's still a big deal, and his words are still God's word, not just for his day, but they're God's word for our day as well. Now, another thing about prophets before we get into our first, we're going to do five of the minor prophets, not all of them. We're going to do five of them this summer. Maybe next summer we'll do the rest. Another thing about prophets is that prophets weren't about, it, pro, the prophets in the Old Testament were not just about predicting the future. That's what some people think when they think, what, what was a prophet? A prophet is someone who could tell the future. Well, that's actually, that's actually a very, very small part. A lot, many of the prophets did tell the future, but that wasn't their main job as a prophet. Prophets were the voice of God to the people. Prophets simply brought a message from God to the people, and almost all the time, the message was something like this. You're morons. Get with the program. I'll wait a second if you want to write that one down. I didn't see any, or tweet that. It's tweetable. Like the, the, as you read through the, the, the prophetic books in the, Old and New, in the Old Testament, it's just, the, the deal was this. If you read through the Old Testament, it's just people, God invited them into a relationship with him, and, 
and he was gracious and kind and giving and sacrificial, and he wanted them to follow him, and he wanted the best for their lives, kind of like parents want for their kids. But the people always disobeyed, kind of like kids to their parents. The people said, I think my way's better. I think I have a better idea. And so God would say, you should do this. The Ten Commandments were just the most obvious example of this. Don't put any other gods before me. Got it, God. You know, don't covet. Don't kill. Don't steal. Got it. And then they did those things. And so what, what God would do is then God would send a prophet. He would send a, he would send a person to speak to the people on his behalf to call them back to himself. You know, one of the reasons we don't have prophets like that today is because we have the word of God. They didn't have this back in the Old Testament. They didn't have, people didn't have this. In fact, this, even books weren't even available in history until the 1500s. So think about it. This is, it was 2,000 years before books were even available to the, to the people who were spoken to by the prophets in the Old Testament. And so they relied heavily on God speaking to them and reminding them. And by the way, not just the prophets, but parents and grandparents were relied heavily on back in the day. In fact, one of the last things Moses said to his people before he died and they entered the promised land is his words were to parents and grandparents. He said, please remember what I told you. Please remember what God told us. If you obey what God told us, things will go well for you. If you disobey what God told us, things will go poorly for you. And the people disobeyed again and again and again. And so God would send prophets, not just to tell the future, but to remind people of the past, what God had said in the past. Because God never changes. God's the same. God's principles and his, his, his laws are the same. And so what's, what I love about God's word is the Ten Commandments still make sense today. Thousands of years later, they make sense today. And if we would understand that if we would be obedient to what God has spoken, then it will go well for us. Then, man, we will do so much better in life and so will our kids. So it doesn't matter who you are today. If you're old or young or somewhere in between, old and young, God's word is still applicable to all of us today. What we're going to be reading from is more than 2,500 years old. Think about this. What we're going to be reading today and next week and the next five weeks is more than 2,500 years old. And yet it is still, as you'll see, it is still so applicable today. So we're going to start with the book of Haggai. Everyone say Haggai. Okay, now let's say it the way Jewish people say it. Haggai. I have no idea if that's how they say it. Probably not. Um, actually, I always say Haggai because my pastor growing up always said Haggai. But the pastor Ross who wrote this sermon today, he says Haggai, and he seems smarter than my pastor growing up. And so I, no offense to my pastor growing up, but I'm going to use Pastor Ross's pronunciation. The truth is you just have to say it like you know what you're doing and everyone will believe it. So let's just say Haggai again. Haggai. Say it with just a little more conviction now. Haggai. There we go. That's how we're going to say it, except for when we don't. Okay. We're talking today about success that matters. Three lessons today that, again, we're going to apply from God's, from the story in the Old Testament. And, and what we're talking about today is success that matters. So before we even get into the story, it's just two chapters. The book, this book of the Bible is just two chapters. Before we even get into the story, I want to just ask you about what you, how you define success in your life. How do you define success? 
Now, don't answer it out loud, but this is a great, this is a great conversation starter with your family today, with a mentor, with a small group this week. How do you define success? Because we're going to look at the story of the people in the Old Testament. I'll give you all the background and all that stuff. We're going to fly today. But we're going to be looking at the story of the people in the Old Testament and how they kind of missed what real success was. And the thing is, God's people, and even those who aren't following God, but even God's people can sometimes get so focused on something that they think is the point. They get so focused, they get so driven to be successful that at some point they come to the end of their lives and they turn around and they look back and they say, I think I was chasing the wrong thing. I think maybe how I defined success when I was 16 or 18 or 22 or 30 or 35, how I defined success back then maybe was the wrong definition. And so I, I, didn't, I never stopped and thought. I never, and this is, today is just going to be a, is this going to be a day to stop and think? I'm going to just challenge you today as we go to just however old you are or aren't, I'm going to challenge you today to stop and think about the direction of your life and how you have defined the win in your life. Just last night I was having, my wife and I had dinner with some friends of ours and, uh, and over at the dinner was a friend of theirs who is a uh, was an exchange student from Spain, and now she's back here. She's teaching in Spain. And we had such an interesting conversation about how life works in Spain. And I said, what are, what are the things that you've noticed that are different here? And she had so many answers already. She said, the first thing is, we couldn't believe how huge the cars were. She's like, in Spain, nobody has these massive cars we all have these tiny little cars. She said, I couldn't. She said, when my dad first came and visited, we, we, he flew into the airport, and we just, we, we got out into the parking lot, and he started laughing at the size of the cars that we have here. In fact, the very first picture he took was him in front of an Escalade. <laughs> the very first picture, and he sent it back to all of his friends, and they all laughed at it. They're like, look, he looks so tiny in front of that car. And, they, and she said the second thing that we notice is just, just all the 24-7 stores. She's like, there's no 24-7 stores in, in Spain. And she says, we couldn't believe you could go into a, a Walmart or a super Walmart and you could buy anything you wanted there at any time of the day. She said, we couldn't believe it. But the biggest thing that struck me is this. She said, I can't believe how crazy people are working and working and working. And then, for what? She's like, life is so much slower for us in Spain that in Spain, we work so that we can enjoy life. And I had to stop and think about that for a second. Huh, that's a novel concept. She says, we work, but then we're done working and we enjoy, we enjoy life. We walk, we walk places together. Nobody, she says, people, some people have cars, but very few people use cars. We can walk everywhere we go. And I thought, wow, how crazy would that be to be able to walk everywhere you go? And she says, we just, we enjoy life as we go. And she said, I came here 
and everybody's just chasing the almighty dollar. And everyone's just working and working and working. And she said, in fact, she said the family she was staying with, she said, when I get up in the morning, he's already gone. And by the time I'm going to bed at night, he's just getting home. And she said, and I feel really sorry for him. Because I feel like he's missing life. It was really interesting. And by the way, I don't think that she's got the right definition of success either, just so you know. But I did think that that was challenging to think, how do we, what are we working for? What is our goal? What is real success? And the crazy thing is that's exactly what Haggai was writing about to the people in this short book. And so if you want to learn from him, I've got three challenges for you, three very, very simple challenges for you. And the first one is this. Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. However you define success, if, you, if success is all about you and building your kingdom and building your, uh, your empire and buying more stuff for you, buying a bigger house, a, better, a bigger car, then I think you should think again. All right, let's go to Haggai. Let's talk a little bit about the message that this prophet had. Haggai chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. I'm going to just read some of this from the screen with you, and then we're going to unpack it together. It says this. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. All right, stop, pause right there. I'm going to do a lot of this, but we've got to go fast. So here's the situation. God's people. You know, God spoke to Abraham Abraham had all these children. Eventually, 12 tribes of Israel come out of Abraham's line. And then they're great in the times of David and Solomon. Things are great. Solomon ends up building this temple to the Lord. It was called, wait for it, Solomon's Temple. Okay? So that's pretty easy to remember. And it was beautiful and it was awesome because it was built in the time of David and Solomon when they had lots of money. And it was at the peak of Israel's national history. And then... Just time, you know, generation after generation, what tends to happen is you fall away from the Lord. Generation after generation fell away from the Lord. And eventually the people of Israel get overtaken by the Babylonians and the temple is destroyed and no more. So the temple of God after several hundred years is just gone from the face of the earth. Remember, the temple of God was where God's presence dwelt. So the people of God didn't have a national identity anymore. Their nation didn't have land anymore. The promised land is overtaken now by the Babylonians and the temple is gone. And so they feel pretty, pretty put out. But then eventually the Persians defeated the Babylonians and the Persians were nicer rulers. And so they said to the people of God, you can go back and build, you can go back to your land and build your temple again. And so they went back. And by the time Haggai writes this, it had been 15 years and they had been back in their land Free to build the temple, but they didn't. Just think about that. 15 years. 15 years in the land. They still hadn't rebuilt the temple. What were they doing? Well, read on and you'll see. They said, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. That's not the priority. And the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai, and he said this. Imagine Haggai saying this. Why are you living in luxurious houses and driving around your escalades then, while my house lies in ruins? I'm sick of your lame excuses. 
You say that it's not time. It's been 15 years. Your house looks nice. Your chariot looks great. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Pretty simple. Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, can you see just a little bit of sarcasm in Haggai's voice here? He says, now go up into the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house. And then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. And when they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. A couple things here. Number one, they screwed up. They screwed up. They were selfish. They put their priorities first. They put their homes first. They put their vineyards first. They, they did everything for themselves. And boy, I don't know if that sounds like anyone in here, but I can relate to this. Maybe you guys are all so much more godly than I am, but I can relate to this. Our, our natural instinct is to put ourselves first, kind of like when we first had kids and Tracy and I are at a barbecue and the kids were still pretty little and I'm, I'm over there making my plate because I'm hungry and I look over and Tracy's got two plates in her hands and she's making plates for our kids. I was being selfish. And I think most dads are like that. Thank God for moms. But it was, so, like it was, such, a less, it was such a lesson for me to be like, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible person. So I ate my food real quick and then I helped. <laughs> I was hungry. We can be so selfish, can't we? We can, we can prioritize. It's not wrong to have a house or a car, even a big car. It's not necessarily wrong. The question is, what did we give up for ourselves? One of my principles that, I taught my, that I've taught my kids, and we believe in this at Alpine, is we give up things we love for things we love even more. And it's true. It's true for everyone. You give up things you love for things you love even more. Everyone does it. You don't be, if you don't believe it, you're just not being honest with yourself. Everyone gives up things that they love for things that they love even more. It's called prioritizing. So what that means is look at your budget and say, what's at the top of my budget? Because whatever is at the top of your budget is the thing that you love the most. It just is. So years ago when Tracy and I took this challenge, we looked at the top of our budget and it was our mortgage. And so what that meant is we loved our home the most. And so we set a goal. We said, and this is when we made nothing. We started the church. We were pretty, pretty dirt poor. And we said, we are, our goal, our, finan- our number one financial goal is that the top item in our budget is our giving to the kingdom of God. That's our number one goal, is that what we give to the kingdom of God, our tithing at Alpine and our missionary giving that we give, and that that is higher than our mortgage. And we looked at it, and it, at the time, our giving was probably third on the list. And so we worked at it, and we got there, and and our giving was the highest on our list, even higher than our mortgage, and then we moved. (laughs) I mean, seriously, like, think about this. Then we moved. And the irony is, as I was preparing this message, I thought about the irony here with this message in mind. It was, we moved in the same year that that we built our first building for Alpine Church in Riverdale. We moved to Riverdale that same year, 
And so our, we build our first building, we're challenging the church to step up their giving, and we moved into a new home. And now our giving took number two on the list because our mortgage, we didn't change our giving, our mortgage went up. What we did is we gave up things we love for things we love even more. We had to look in the mirror and realize we loved that home, a new lifestyle, a new neighborhood. We loved that even more. So we, we said, let's set, it, let's set that goal again. I love what it says here. It says, when they heard the words of the prophet and they felt beat down, the people feared the Lord. I hope that your response today, today, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you, is not that you're defensive or that you start making excuses, but that you just say, you're right, God, I'm wrong. That's the response he wants. You're right, I'm wrong. When we realized that, that maybe we made the wrong move, we said, God, forgive us. And we set that goal again. And it took us a couple years, but now our giving is the highest on our list once again. And we're not going to move anymore. Because we give up things we love for things we love even more. Our house would be paid off right now if we didn't give to the kingdom of God. Think about it. We, we would be doubling our, our mortgage payment every month. We'd be debt-free. I've got friends who aren't believers, who aren't Christians, who are debt-free. They make more money than I do, and they're debt-free. And that doesn't surprise me because they... They don't give. They give to themselves. They give to their home. They give to their car. They give to their vacations. But I would just challenge you to think, is that really success when you turn around and look at the end of your life? You're going to pat yourself on the back for the car you live in or drive and the house you live in? I think Haggai would say, nope. Don't be selfish. The second thing is this. As they began to work on the house of their God, don't be discouraged. Because here's what happened, and here's what will happen. If you take a challenge today to either step up in your giving, some are giving, some are not. If you step up in your giving, then, or if you step up in your serving, we've got a ministry fair today, and we're going to ask, invite you to serve and, and, and get involved here at Alpine Church if you step up. The truth is, the, the honeymoon phase goes away pretty quick. You're excited for a while when you're giving, but after three months of that, you're like, I want to go on a better vacation. And you start looking at your budget, and you're like, we can't. we got to go on a regular vacation or maybe do a staycation this year. Tracy and I have had these conversations for over a decade. And we'll look at it, and, and I'll just say, Trace, look, find it in the budget. And we look at that, and we have made a rule for ourselves. We do not take from that top line item. We're not going to take from that top line item. So if we can't find it somewhere else in the budget, then we're just going to give that thing up. We haven't had cable ever. Our kids don't even know what cable television is. And all their friends are like, what's all this cable stuff? We're like, I can't work the remote. That's our excuse. We're like, we wouldn't know how to work the remote. So they've bought that for so many years. But now that they're older, we can say, we give up things we love for things we love even more. Most of our neighbors have boats and RVs in their driveway. And and we just look at that and we... We're not jealous anymore because God has set us free from that stuff because we give up things that we love for things we love even more. But in the early days, we were discouraged because we would look at what everyone else is doing. It seems like they're kind of getting ahead. And it, it is, sometimes it's hard. It's not always easy to honor God with your choices. And it can be discouraging if you're in kids' church and you're working down there in kids' church. If you're on the clean team, cleaning a toilet, you're like, why did I sign up for this job, you know? It's because there's no spiritual gift of cleaning toilets. You're just a servant. You don't do something like that because, because you're gifted at it. Although I've convinced my wife that she's got that gift. 
but don't tell her that, that I'm just manipulating her. Please don't tell her. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't tell her that. But the truth is when you do these things and you start serving God instead of yourself, you start building the temple, so to speak, instead of building your own house, then it's easy to be discouraged. And so Haggai says this. Does anyone remember this house? This temple and its former splendor? Because what was happening was this. They started, they went into the hills and got the timber and started building the new temple and it looked terrible because they weren't very rich. They didn't, have, they didn't have the money that Solomon had. They didn't have the gold that Solomon had. They didn't have silver. They didn't have access to all that stuff. And Solomon's temple was awesome. And they're building, they're building a, a cardboard box in comparison. And they, 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 so Haggai says, does anyone remember this house, it's, this temple in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. But now the Lord says, be strong. Listen to what he says. I love this. This is the encouraging word of God through his prophet. Be strong. Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong. All you people still left in the land. Be strong. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. He says, now get to work, for I am with you. Says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. Sometimes fear and anxiety hits us when we start living the way God wants us to live, because it could mean giving things up. Young people, it could mean giving up some of your social life. It could mean giving up some of the friends that you thought you had. We've, this is a great message from my daughter, who is a freshman in, or sophomore now in college. And she's tried to honor God, and she's like, Dad, no freshmen in college are interested in honoring God. And whenever I go to a small group, Everyone's like, what, great, what year are you? I'm a freshman. Oh, wow, we never get any freshmen in here. Because freshmen are all out there partying, trying to find themselves. But, but they're all juniors and seniors now in the small group. They're like, we were like that too. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. When you're doing the right thing, sometimes you're on the road less traveled. And he goes on, he says, I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord. And I love what it says right here in verse 9. Mark this up if you have this in your Bibles. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place I will bring peace. What in the world is he talking about? I, would, I could imagine building this temple and saying, how could you possibly say that? How could, how could you possibly say that? That this temple, this, this cardboard box is, is better than what happened in Solomon's temple. We don't even have the Ark of the Covenant anymore. How could you possibly say that? Here's how. Because the temple that they built in Haggai's day was the very temple that Jesus walked into and flipped over the tables in. That was the temple that they were building. That was the temple where the, the veil was torn when Jesus died and said, it is finished. And the glory of God's temple, it turns out, wasn't an external glory. It was about what God's purposes on earth were all about. And I want to remind you that that's still true today. God is interested in what you're doing and what he is doing in you. That's what he's interested in. He's not interested in the outside stuff. He's interested in his purpose moving forward. And true success is accomplishing God's purpose by God's power. It's not accomplishing your purpose by your power. Whatever else the rest of the world says, this isn't a self-help sermon. This is a very specific Christian message from God's word. True success is accomplishing God's purposes by God's power, not your purposes in your power. 
And this is the lesson we get in Haggai. And so my last thing I want you to consider is don't be clueless. What it says here in verses 15 and 16, he says, Look at what's happening to you before I began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. What he does here at the end of this little book is, is he's, he's reminding them that there were signs before they, they got their priorities right and listened to God, that there were signs in their life that something was wrong and that they were focused on the wrong thing. And that's our takeaway today. I encourage you to look in the mirror and say, am I doing what God wants me to do or am I doing what I want me to do? Am I chasing after my house, my car, my success on my terms and my power? Or am I submitting to God and saying, what do you want of my life? How do you want me to be a giver? How do you, where do you want me to serve today as you go back there and, look, and check out the opportunities to serve in, the, in this church? And this isn't the only place. It's not just about serving here in the church. That's a great start. But God, what is it that you're calling me to? Because, because I want to listen to you today. I want to hear what your spirit is saying to me today. I don't want to be stubborn and hard-hearted like the people of Israel were in years past. I want to be like the people of Israel in Haggai's day where they were reprimanded and they felt a little bit whipped, but they said, we're so sorry. What should we do? And God said, get to work. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. It's worth it. It's worth it to, to do what God is calling you to do. It's worth it to give. It's worth it to reevaluate your, your finances. It's worth it to reevaluate the time that you spend and whether you serve or not. Don't make it all about you and your family and your vacations and everything else. Those things aren't bad. God's not saying, I, I want to be a killjoy now. I don't want you to have anything anymore. And I don't want you to have any fun anymore. That's not what he's saying. He's, it's just a matter of priority. He says this, put God first. And Jesus himself said it in Matthew 6. If you seek God first, then all these things will be added to you. But if you seek you, you first, you'll end up losing it all. And that's what people find at the end of their lives when they look back and they say, I was chasing the wrong thing all along. My challenge to you is to chase the right thing. And God will honor you for it. Let's pray together. God, I praise you for your word through Haggai more than 2,500 years ago. It's amazing how relevant it still is in all of our lives. And I pray for every family in here, every couple in here, every young person in here. God, I pray that, that you would speak to them Just exactly, Holy Spirit, what you want to speak to them. God, I pray that we would apply this message in our finances, in our service to you, God, and that you would be pleased by it, and that we would enjoy it. God, that it would bring a smile to our faces to find success that really matters. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.